Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Thanks for being in church this morning. That sounded good. That sounded good. Y'all said good morning very well. That was, I don't know, that was... Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, um, continuing the series entitled A Seat at the Table. And uh, when you get a seat at the table, you get a different perspective. Um, when you're from a distance, you see very little, but when you get a seat at the table, you get to see sometimes even behind the scenes, sometimes a, with a little more detail. When you get a seat at the table, you gain a different perspective. And uh, this morning, uh, today, my prayer is that as we leave here today, we would have a greater perspective of who God is. Uh, that we would know Him more. How many want to know God more? Um, I want to say to you today that in order to know God more, in order for God to become greater, it's not that He becomes greater because He's always as great as He's ever been. Um, he's been and will be the same as He's always been. Uh, in order for God to see, for us to see God greater, we might have to get a different view. Uh, we might have to move into a, a different position and posture, different place. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1. It's a letter that Paul is writing from a Roman prison, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 15, would you stand with me today as we look at this text, and uh, this is my prayer that we would see God even greater from the, the seat that he's prepared for us. Here's what uh, Ephesians 1 verse 15, ever since I first heard of your strong faith, Paul's writing, uh, he says to this church, I've heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. How many know that faith is not really an operation unless it's expressed in love? Galatians 5, 6. It's been a scripture that just keeps coming back to me uh, week in and week out. Faith expressing itself in love or through love. That uh, we cannot say we have faith if we don't have a love that accompanies it. A love for God and a love for people. Um, he says, I've, I've heard of your strong faith and uh, of your love for God's people everywhere. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Aren't you thankful there are people who pray for you? Uh, aren't you? I, I hope you're praying for people, but there are people who pray for you. And uh, what a blessing. Uh, Paul says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, or wisdom and revelation, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. There it is. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. It might say, it says here, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. But it says in other, uh, another uh, uh, version says that the eyes of your heart would be open or that the eyes of your understanding, that your heart would perceive and know uh, who you are in Christ. Verse 19 I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. I love that. He could have said God's power. He could have said God's incredible power. He could have said God's, the greatness of God's power. But he's putting all the words he can together because how many know there's not enough words to describe the power and the greatness of God? He says this. He says his incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Did you see that? He raised us from the dead along with Christ because we belong to Him, we're seated with Him, and we're united with Him. We are in Christ. My prayer today is that we would grow in an understanding of who we are in Christ, of what He's made possible for us. God, give us insight. I pray, Lord, that we would see Your truth with clarity. And God, that it would transform us from the inside out in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to share from this title today as we've been looking at the seat that is at the table that God has prepared for us. He's created and prepared a place for us. Here's the title today that I want to look from. And that is this, uh, an unobstructed view. An unobstructed view that we would have a clear view and perspective of the things of God, of what he's, uh, what he's made available to us. The closer you get, the greater you understand. The closer you get, the greater you understand. I'm a, uh, uh, a baseball fan. I love traveling to ballparks. It's my goal to hit every major league park in America and even the one in Canada. And uh, it's my desire to hit every major league park. And I was at a uh, park one time and, and uh, got the best seat that I could for me because uh, uh, sometimes price and all that matters. And so I got the best seat I could get. And as I was seated up a bit, a little bit away from the action, I noticed that down below there were a section of seats that remained open. And I didn't understand why no one was sitting in those seats. And so uh, a couple innings into the game, I gave myself an upgrade. I figured uh, no one else is using those seats. Don't understand why. And so the game's going on long enough. They didn't show up. So I will take care of the seats that have been vacated since I don't know why they've been vacated. I made my way at a certain point, uh, went down the next level, sat in those seats only to find out the reason they're vacated is because it's right behind the foul pole. And so it kind of obstructed your view of what you were able to see. I didn't realize that until I got closer. The closer you get, the more you understand. The closer we get to something, there's an understanding. And here's, here's what the understanding is, that the understanding has to do with the way that we think. The way that we think is our understanding. And a lack of understanding allows for obstructions or things to get in the way of the perspective that God has for us. The way that we think, our understanding or our lack of understanding. There's a beautiful sunset that you could see and and the beautiful sunset that would be available to be able to watch. And the only problem is, or one of the things that, that would happen for a lot of us, is that we know the sunset, but many of us have not really seen it because we already have, or there's obstructions or things that are in the way. I've been to places, my family and I went to L.A. a couple years ago and we saw the movie La La Land. So we went to the top of that conservatory place to watch the sunset because it's one of those spaces. So we go to the top and realize we're not the only ones with the idea to go to the top of this place and watch the sunset over the city of Los Angeles. Everybody else thought it was a great idea too. So the idea to go see a beautiful sunset became frustrating because of the traffic and all the things. So it was kind of a frustrating thing to go see a beautiful sight. The irony that we sometimes get in, right? The the difficulties. We made our way to the top and as we're looking over the, the city, sure enough, we watched the sunset. We watched this experience. I've been able to see the sunset in different countries, in different places. And it's something that we can see, but every day we have the opportunity to see the sunset. But many of us don't see the sunset because there's something obstructing or in the way of us seeing it. And oftentimes we don't make it a priority because the opposite of understanding is assumption. We don't move to see it because we already assume we know what it is. 
Because we've seen it enough, we've seen it before, it's become a familiarity. We don't move to see something that in our mind we can imagine. And because we can imagine it, we lose the ability or the desire to make priority or to go see something that is so familiar to us. Could it be that with God, he's become so familiar that we've lost the desire to really understand him? Because after a while... We just are assuming we know the familiarity of who he is, and we've lost the desire. Even this morning, sitting in this place, when we're in a church setting, in a moment, and you know what it's like that sometimes to make eye contact, if if you can't see what's going on, you sometimes got to move around because you want to see. But sometimes we can get to a place where it's like, I don't need to see. I already know what happens. I've been here, been here, done that. It's nothing new. Even sitting in church today, it could be at a place of, I don't really need to know what's going on, see what's going on. I've sat in this seat before. I've done this thing before. I assume, and instead of growing in understanding, you just operate in the same assumption. Instead of growing in greater understanding, we just remain in the place of assumption. It's always a dangerous thing when we quit becoming learners and we settle to assume that we know everything there is to know. That when we know everything that there is to know, we know how things respond, how things are, that we lose the, the, the sight, the desire. This weekend or Friday, we were at a, a, a musical, and uh, I was sitting there, and uh, the person in front of me kept wanting a better view. And so to get a better view, he kind of would scoot back in his seat and lift his head a little more. And I'm like, you, I didn't name him anything bad. Um, he went to our church, so I was nice to him. But even if he didn't go to church, I'd be nice to him. It, it was Seth Mershop, that's all. It was just weird. And so he's sitting there, and then he would move one way to try and see, so then I had to move another way to try and see. You realize that when you're intently desiring something, you relocate so you can get a better view. When was the last time you relocated to get a better view of God, or have you just been staying in the same seat because you assume you know everything there is to know about God? You've been saved so long, you've been doing things so long, you know the motions, you know the stuff, and you sit in the same seat that you've lost the passion and desire to say, what's up, what's he doing now, where is he now? I want to see what God is up to. That when we lose the awe and the wonder that we can become obstructed and the obstruction to our, our view of seeing God in a greater way is that we just allow ourselves to be stuck in a place of assumption and we settle for the way things the, the way things are going but moving ourselves to see what it is that God has intended. We lack the ability to understand in our culture today. We are not good at understanding. Assumption so much plagues us in our culture that our marriages lack understanding. Our politics lacks understanding. A lot of relationships that we have lack understanding because instead of being willing or allowing ourselves to learn, we operate in assumption. What's the difference? Assumption talks a lot, but understanding stops to listen. Assumption finishes other people's sentences. You ever done that? You ever had your, your sentences finished for you? You ever had that person tell you, I know what you're thinking? Oh, great. No, what you mean is you assume you know and your assumption has already gotten you to an arrival, to a place, and you're not willing to understand how to get there. You've already just landed there. Assumption is a great danger that can affect our relationships, because then we assume, we, we, we can operate with assumption, and an assumption already arrives at a destination while the understanding is willing to learn in the journey, a learning to, to, to grow and to develop, to understand. Yes, there's a way people respond, but do you understand why someone responds the way they do? 
you can dislike what someone does, and that's fair enough, and disliking what someone does is, is a true matter, but if you're really going to affect what someone does, you need to understand the why and not just the what. That there's the ability to understand, and how many know that God wants you and I to gain knowledge, knowledge of him, but understanding it works in natural relationships, it works in our relationship with God, that we need understanding. We need understanding in, in, the, in our politics. We know this without a doubt, that the moment we side on something, that we become so gridlocked because we can't agree on the stuff that matters because the last thing we can do is let this side know that we agree on that because if we agree on that, then the doors will open and we'll have problems we don't know how to understand and really be Become one as a nation. We are a divided nation. We've got issues. America has issues. We are so stuck in a in a way, and when I say America, I mean us in the way that we look at things. We we immediately jump to the assumptions and not the willingness to understand, to grow in knowledge, to gain understanding, to gain wisdom, to allow ourselves to gain a new perspective, to see things from a different way. Because at some point, if we sit in the same seat and everything else has to be moved, here's the, the illustration I would use. A uh, uh, place we live, I, I love the, the place that we hang out. It's my house. It's a cool place. It's my favorite house I've ever lived in. That's kind of nice, right? You can say favorite house you've ever lived in. We've got right on the kind of a top of a hill and overlooking uh, the uh, uh, um, just a, Really, it's Route 20, it's 21, Route 21, so, uh, but you can't really see it directly. But it's on a hill enough that you can watch the sunset. It's kind of a cool thing, and uh, at night it'll hit just right or different points of the year. And, and it's kind of one of those things that I enjoy. The only problem is that the house faces the sunset, and my favorite place to sit at night is on the back patio. And so there are times I can kind of see through the window, that, or you can see the glow of the sunset, and it's a beautiful sunset, and I'm sitting on the back patio, and there are times I've gotten out of my seat to go watch the sunset, and either the, one of the kids or Jody will come out and say, what are you doing? I'm saying, well, I wanted to see the sunset because I couldn't see it from where I was sitting. I had to move, and so I'm taking a look at it. We're stopping and taking a look, and there have been times they've said, hey, Dad, hey, hey, look at the sunset. So I get up and I move and I look. I could sit there knowing there's something of beauty to see and I could sit in the back of that porch and say, oh God, I know there's something beautiful that you have for me. Would you please move this house, oh God? God, would you cause this house to be moved? Would you take this house away? Would you move this house that I might be able to see? How many know that's the, the, the just the, uh, I was all gonna say something not so nice, but stupidity, we'll go with that one. Uh, the stupidity of saying, God, change and move the house. And God says, no, get off your butt and go look at another place. How many things are we sitting and saying, God, would you take this away? God, I, I would really know your glory and your wonder if this, would, if this would be gone, if this would be out of the way, if this relationship would be right, if this thing would go right. If this would, God, would you take it away? Would you take it away? Would you move it? Would you move it? And God says, no, how about you get up and get a different view? You can get up and move. There are some things God is able to move and God is able to do, but God wants us to move to see his glory, to see him in a different way, that there's some things for us that we've got to allow ourselves in faith to adjust and move because how many times can it be so foolish of us to sit in the same seat and just expect God to serve us right where we are and forget that what he's called us to do is to partner with him and to serve him in his glory that we move. Maybe today you need to get a different view. 
Maybe today you need to get a different perspective. You need to move out of the seat that you've, you've been sitting in, this, this assumption that has trapped us in this place. Here, here's the problem when we operate with assumption, that we lack the understanding. And, and any time that we lack understanding, it's our, it's our inability to not see something clearly. But God wants to give us fresh perspective. He wants us to see according to his truth. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Your understanding is always affected by what you're standing under. Your understanding is always affected by what you're standing under. Here's what I mean by that. Is that whatever you're standing under becomes what you're focused on. If you're standing under guilt and condemnation, it's going to keep you from seeing the glory and the, and the power of God in your life. If you're standing under hurt and, and regret and unforgiveness, those things, whatever we're standing on becomes our focus. And we're, when we become focused on something that is other than God's power and his ability, that we become limited in our understanding because we're stuck by what we're standing under. That we operate too often then on assumption. Understanding has a companion. And the way that we get to understanding is by this word that Paul prayed over us. Paul prayed that you and I would have wisdom. Wisdom gives way to understanding. When we have wisdom, it gives way to understanding. Paul is in prison praying for the Ephesian, for the church in Ephesus. And as he's writing this letter to them and he's praying for them, he begins to pray a prayer for them. What prayer would you want Paul to pray for you? Notice the prayer that Paul prays. Paul prays that you would grow in wisdom. Now, that you would ask for wisdom. How often do you ask God for wisdom? I don't know about you, but I often ask God for wisdom. Now, before that sounds like, oh, Good for us. Right answer. I said the right answer. I ask God for wisdom all the time. I've asked God for wisdom regularly in what I'm doing. I need wisdom. I need wisdom. But as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Is it all right if the pastor gets convicted? I hope so because this one does. As I was looking at this, I became convicted in that oftentimes when I connect my prayer to wisdom, my wisdom is asking God to give me wisdom to know what to do about something. Now you say, well, that just makes sense. You need wisdom in order to know what to do. Here's the problem. Paul says he prays that you would have wisdom and revelation, not so you would know how to do something, but Paul says so that you would know God greater. I want you to have wisdom that you would know God more. So I started thinking about this wisdom that I often ask for. And sometimes the wisdom that I ask for, can you relate to this? God, I need wisdom to figure out how to fix this problem. God, I need wisdom how to, how to respond to this situation. God, I need wisdom to work this out. How many have ever asked God for that kind of wisdom? I've been there. I've done it. But the Holy Spirit challenges me and says, when was the last time you asked for wisdom? Not, so I could, not, not that you would know what to do, but that you would know how great I am. Because there's a difference that this wisdom of knowing God is different. Because oftentimes when I ask God for wisdom because I don't know what to do, I tend, and here's the danger, I could get myself to a place where I could learn how to live without God, except for when I'm in need. I can learn to live without God except for when I'm in need. If the only time I ask for wisdom is because I need to figure something out, then oftentimes my relationship with God comes to a place where God, okay, I've got this now, figured it out, I'm good on my own. You know God will never let you get to a place that you don't need him. It's kind, of a, it, it, it's kind of a wrong relation. I mean, he's never going to let us get to a place that, he's not, that we're not going to need him. And so wisdom, the right wisdom that we need, why is this important? Because the wisdom that he wants for us is not a wisdom of this world, 
but a wisdom that is from God. God wants us to have a wisdom that doesn't reveal just what we need to do. He wants to reveal who he is in our life. Because when we know who he is in our lives, that will transform and work in us, and that causes the wisdom or the understanding. Wisdom is knowing how great God is. Understanding is knowing how to respond because God is so great. Are you following me this morning? That, that the right wisdom that we need is, God, I need to see you in a clearer way. I need to see you more in, in, in the rightness of who you are, your glory and your majesty. I need to see you in a proper way. The wisdom of this world, the, the, the Bible says this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Verse 29 says that the reason he does this is so that no man can boast in the presence of God. That no man can boast in the presence of God. If God just gave you the answers of how to and you get to a place that you no longer need God, you now come to a place that you get to boast about what you've done. And there's a danger when we have greater joy for what we do in Christ than for who we are in Christ. It is that boasting is when our joy, boasting is this, is when, when our joy is greater in, in what we do in Christ than who we are in Christ. There's the same reason of not boasting when it says of salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, that it is by faith that you're saved, not of works, so that no one can boast about it. You're not saved and able to say, well, I'm saved. Well, the reason I'm saved is because, you know, God got a good deal when he got me. I mean, I'm good. I mean, I grew up in a good home. I've got, I've, got good, I've got good pedigree. I've got a good background. I've got a good... No, there's nothing in you that stands. There's nothing in you that you can boast about. You are saved only by the merit and the love and the grace of God that he has for you. Nothing that you and I can do. We cannot boast in ourselves. The only boasting that we can do is that we boast in Christ, that we boast in him. And here's one of the things, being careful. When you speak of how successful and how things are going on in your life, do you point to how good things are or to how good God is? I get there's nothing wrong with you asking me, hey, is everything good? Yep, the job is good, the, the finances are good, the, the family's good, the marriage good, everything's good. There's nothing wrong with saying, yep, everything's fine because of those things. But if I, if I attract or I associate everything of goodness to what God has given me and not who he is, I've missed it. Or I don't know completely or understand properly. You know why? Because what happens when the day the finances aren't good or this isn't out of place or this is what happens in that moment? That's why Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, he sent them out by two, and he said for them to go and preach. Take certain things with you. Go say this to people. They came back, and when they came back, they give their report of how it went, and they're happy. One of the disciples say to Jesus, oh, Jesus, we cast out demons. Even demons obeyed when we talked, and they're all excited. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, don't rejoice that demons obey you but instead rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because when we put the method above the meaning, we'll always be at a danger of getting to a place where we don't need God. When our wisdom is more about a method, and here's what I mean, that wisdom is not God, help me know what to do. Do you believe God wants you to know what to do? Absolutely. He wants to give you wisdom for that. But the wisdom doesn't come by him just telling you what to do, wisdom comes by you knowing who he is and how wonderful and how, how majestic and how holy and how awesome that he would increase. He wants you to have wisdom so that you can see him greater. You know what happens when we see him greater? We realize, God, I can't do anything without you. And guess what natural wisdom or, or supernatural wisdom produces? Then I would never do anything that does not rely on my dependency upon God. I'll always walk in wisdom. 
we said this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that ignorance will always lead you to a place when you try, when you see your life without Christ, you'll always walk in ignorance. Anytime you see yourself without Christ, you'll always walk in ignorance. Anytime you see your circumstance, good or bad, without Christ, will always walk in ignorance. He wants us to be at a place of dependency, that wisdom is not just meant for us to know what to do. That's understanding. Wisdom is to know how wonderful, how great, and how powerful he is. That's what wisdom produces, this ability to know him, this ability that we would not be able to boast in our own merits, in our own doing. As we said already, boasting is when we can, boasting is when what we can do in Christ is of greater joy than who we are in Christ. When what we can do in Christ is greater joy. When we attach our identity more in what we've done for Christ. If my relationship with Jesus Christ, if I judge or I value my relationship with Christ being dependent on how healthy this church is or how this church is growing, I've got an identity crisis. My relationship with Jesus cannot be connected to how things are doing by what I do for him. It's only by who I am in him. Do you know why? Because if I was in a place and things weren't working well, I'd still want to be at a place where his confidence is my strength. I want to be at a place that even when everything doesn't go well, you know why? Because there are some things I wish would go better in my life. I thank God that we've got, we've got just what God is doing, things that are, that are working and operating and always more, never wanting to lose sight of that. But you know what? I've constantly remained in a place of, oh God, I need you every hour. Wisdom is knowing how much we need God that our identity can't be connected to the things that we do in Christ, but who we are in Christ. That it's not a, a method of gaining wisdom to know what to do, but wisdom is meant to know how great God is. That we would see Him greater. That we would worship Him in spirit and in truth to know how great He is. Paul makes this prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open. That your heart would be flooded. That, that, that light would flood your heart. That the eyes of your heart would be open, that the eyes of your understanding, that you would understand and know God in a greater way. You and I need understanding. And there's some things that get in the way of us understanding and seeing God. Paul makes three specific things that he prays here, that he prays that, that, that there would be these certain areas that we would understand. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, or it says the, the eyes of your heart be open, so that you can understand. Understand what? The confident hope that he has given to those he has called. That we would also understand that we are his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him, that we would understand these things. And my prayer today is that we would have a greater understanding of who God is. Would today be not something that we could say, today, here's how you can operate to, to have something work out in your life. I, I want today that we would catch this heartbeat to say, God, I want what we capture today to be that we know you greater because we spent time in your word together, because we spent this time together. I want to know you more as a result of looking at your word. I want to see you in a greater way. I want to see you with more clarity. I don't want to look with obstructions or things that are in the way. I want to see 
see you with greater understanding and insight and wisdom today. Here's what Paul says, the first one, that when we have a proper understanding, it allows us to remove some of the, uh, some of the obstructions and things that stand in our way. The first one is this, is that we understand that God's promise removes disappointments. He says these words to us in this, this prayer that Paul prayed. He, he said, I pray that you would understand the confident hope that God has given to us. There's a confident hope that's connected to a promise. And the promise removes disappointments. Why do we need disappointments removed? Not so that we don't ever have disappointments. Because how many wish we would not have disappointments in this life? It's not that it removes disappointments, but it allows us to get beyond the disappointments because his promise is greater than the disappointment that we're walking through in life. It's called a disappointment because the enemy wants to do anything he can do to get you off the appointment that God has for you. The only thing that he can use to get you off of your, of your appointment, the purpose that God has for your life, is to bring disappointments, to create an, uh, an obstruction, to create the inability for you to see God clearly. We live in a fallen and dark, broken world. And there are those times that God allows those things. And I know we've all gone through things where we say, God, you could have taken us away from the disappointment. You could have removed this disappointment. You could have caused this obstacle, this thing in the way. You could have caused this to move. And there are times I wish God would have done what I asked for. But he didn't. And so I could stay behind that opposition or behind that obstacle or, or that thing that is, that is in the way that's keeping me from seeing God clearly. I could stay in that place and say, see God, you're not who you say you are. But how many know I'm operating on assumption because I have a limited visibility? But it takes faith to get up out of the chair and start walking around the house because you know by faith there's still a sunset and a promise that's on the horizon. Some of us today, we need, we need the ability, the faith, and the grace of God to hold on to the promise that he's given. To hold on to the promise that, that he still is, is prevailing, that he's greater than the opposition, greater than the difficulty, greater than the, sit, the setback, the disappointment, the trial, that he allows us to keep pressing on. Maybe that's, that's an obstruction that stands in your way today because of disappointments, because you've been let down, because things have been dealt to you unfairly and in ways that are unfortunate. And every single one of us to some level could claim victimacy. We could, we could claim a, a place of victim, that we could be at a place of, of being defeated and overcome. But he's given us the inability to walk in wholeness, to walk beyond, not to stay behind the place that we've been, but to walk in a victory. That he gives us the ability to move beyond disappointments. Don't, don't at all think it's one of these things. We'll just get over it, say it doesn't hurt. My mom, when she was uh, growing up, they grew up on a farm. And uh, some of you can relate to that. Uh, man, I, I, I mean this sincerely. My, my mom is a testament of the grace and the sovereignty of God. If anyone has an excuse to be dysfunctional, it could be my mom and her family. But by the grace of God, God got a hold of their life and they overcame the stuff that were so, so much setbacks that could have, be, could have been uh, statistics and all the things that come against them. But my mom today is a God-loving, God-fearing, crazy woman who uh, I thank God she saved because if not, we'd all be in trouble. Um, but uh, my mom, um, she was, uh, she said when she was young, she was out playing, fell out of a peach tree, and they knew they were in trouble because the peaches were in season, and if grandpa found out they were climbing the peach tree, I don't even know if it'd be that pleasant. I mean, I don't know what all would happen. And uh, so they fell out of the peach tree. Mom broke her arm, and she's laying there. My arm hurts. 
my aunt goes up to her and takes her arm and says, say it don't hurt, say it don't hurt, say it don't hurt. It did hurt. This is not one of those things where we come to God and say, well, say it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't. No, it was. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, there's disappointment. Yeah, there's setback. But he'll bring you to your feet. He'll put oil and salve. He'll, he'll put his healing touch, his hand upon you, and he'll lead you through because you're not finished in the place of your disappointment because the disappointment is just the enemy's feeble attempt to hold you back, but God is greater than your disappointment. His promise still stands. Great is His faithfulness that He brings you beyond. You might be sitting today saying, I know, there's a, I know there's a sunset on the other side of that house, but this house is in my way. And you know what? That house might be in the way, but oh, by the grace of God and the faith of God, rise up to your feet. Walk in your brokenness and let him be your healer. Rise up in your weakness and let him be your strength. Rise up in your pain and let him be your joy. Rise up in your despair and let him be your comfort because it's his word. It's his promise that he brings to us. That we understand and we gain an understanding. And guess what? When I look at what my mom went through and I see, and I don't mean just the moment she broke her arm, just the, 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 the dysfunction and things that were in her family. When I look at those things and I see where she is today, it is a testimony to the delivering power and the wonderful grace and the majesty of God. Not because she had to go through it, but that God brought her through it and made her as if she never fell in such a place. Not because she said it never happened, but because she's with a God who says, I'll cause your future to be greater than your past. I've got a hope and a promise that remains that we hold on to the hope that Christ has given us. Church, that takes faith. It takes faith. It takes this understanding God in a greater, in a greater way. It, it, when we look with the promise of God, it removes disappointment. I didn't say it means disappointments don't happen. It means that disappointments don't keep us captive and hold us stuck in a place we've always been. Number two, he said this, that you would know the inheritance that you have in Christ. Number two is this, is that this, this provision removes deficiency. Provision removes deficiency. Do you know how valuable you are to God? That we are his inheritance. This means that he is sharing his glory with us. I like when some people share. There's some people they share. Like, I've, I've had a friend before. He's like, hey, I've got a vacation home. I'll share it with you. Okay. I've had a friend before who said, uh, hey, I've got some flyer miles. I'll share them with you. Okay. Hey, I've got some, I'll share with you. Do you know that all of those people that shared with me had something I didn't have. But they, in their kindness and friendship, said, hey, I want to. They shared with me. They gave me an opportunity that I could not have on my own. Do you know that God wants to share his glory with you? Because you, you can't get there on your own. You can't get to that seat on your own. Because might I remind you, he invited you to sit in a seat that you don't deserve. You're deficient. You and I are deficient. We, we always fall short. Here's what the Bible says, that sin 
that, that the Bible says that sin causes us, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are the same. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin means to be separated from God. And anytime I'm, I'm at a place where I don't need God or I try to do it on my own, I'm separating myself from God and I'm forgetting or not understanding that he wants to share his glory, his provision, his promise, his power with us. Colossians 1.27, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Aren't you glad it's not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles? I'm glad because I'm a German Polak, so I thank God that, I'm, that I've got the, uh, the, the, the grace and, and the love of Jesus Christ that he's extended to the Gentiles. He says this, and this is the secret. <laughs> it's the secret. What, what's the secret? Someone's like, what, what's the secret to having joy in life? What's the secret to having peace? What's the secret? Here's the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. What's the, secret to, what's the secret to this life of finding this place? Jesus Christ living inside of you. Him taking residency and us surrendering our hearts, our lives, giving him the proper place of authority in our lives that when we know that he's come to share and he's given us what we don't deserve. I'm deficient. I'll always come up short in myself, but Jesus makes all the difference in my life. He's made it possible. David was king, and he wanted to honor one of Saul's, uh, Jonathan's grandsons, a relation to Saul, who was the first king. His name was Mephibosheth. And David had a place at the table for Mephibosheth. Not only is it a fun name to say, but it also speaks of the love and the power of God. Here's why. Because Mephibosheth was lame, was left behind, was even a family member of the first king who tried to kill David. Do you think for all of his pedigree and all of his background, he had any reason to sit at the seat? But David said, no, I want him to sit at my table, and I want to honor him and have him sit at my table, not because of what he deserves, not because of anything that's been in his past, but because of my love for him, for his grandfather, for his, 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 uh, his, his father, who, who was Jonathan, for the love of his father, I want to honor him. And how many know that God says, I have a seat for you, not because of anything you've done, but because the love of the one you put your faith in. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to me. If you belong to Jesus, you've got a seat at the table, and now I get to sit at the table, not because of anything I've done, but because of my decision, my relationship to be in Christ, that he's made a seat for me, that he's made this available beyond my deficiencies. Here's number three. I want to close with this. Worship team's going to come, and I've got a couple more things here, and we'll wrap this up here. Here's number three, that when we understand the love of God and the power of God in our life, we realize this, that power removes death. The power removes death. Here, just, I can't say it any more basic than that. Death is the enemy's desire to cause the final blow to you and I to be separated from God. But even in death, the enemy does not have victory. Even in death itself, notice what he says here. The, the text that we read, he says, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Did you notice that? It's the incredible greatness of God's power. Oh, that we would not lose, oh, oh that we would, would not lose the awe and the wonder of who God is. That we would not just keep coming to church or doing life and sitting in the same place with the same view and just assuming we know everything there is about God. That we would allow ourselves to lean in, to move, 
and to get perspective, get visual. God, what is it that you're revealing? What is it that you're showing? He says, this same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is still at work in you and I today? The same power that raised him from the dead and seated him in a place of heavenly honor, in a place of a heavenly realm, that this has seated him in this place of honor. We have this resurrection The problem sometimes is that we can get excited about resurrection and forget that he not only raised him to life, but he did two things. And the text that we read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I want you to see we are with Christ, along with Christ, and we are united to Christ. How many know this is all wrapped up in Christ? We're all wrapped up in Christ. This is all wrapped up in him. And because of that, two things have taken place. We have been raised to life and we have been seated with Christ. Here's why this is important. Because he gives us the power to overcome death. Death is a problem in itself. But if all Jesus did was resurrect us, all we would do is rise again to die again. Think about this. Resurrection by itself is just rising to die again. You just rise again to die again. Some of us have had a limited relationship and limited understanding in our walk with God that we've become saved, but we've not been transformed and we keep rising just to repeat the same pattern. The old man, unfortunately, we know that we're new in Christ, we know we have relationship with Christ. But there becomes this, here's, here's the difference. There's a resurrection and there's also a transformation. You're not only raised to life, you're raised to new life. I'm take a little time for this to sink in. If it was just life again, it would just be to repeat what we've always done. But he raised us to have new life transformation. Do you realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your life? So he's not only giving you life, he's giving you new life, which means this, he's brought you back from the dead. Some are like, what do you mean? Spiritually speaking, absolutely. This is going to be literal one day when what, this body dies. And I've, 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 I've officiated a lot of funerals at this point. 20 years in full-time ministry, I've stood a lot of gravesides. And I've declared the same hope for those who are in Jesus Christ that this body, though it lay in the ground, will be like a seed that will burst forth with new life and will be made new with a new body and it will come back to life because of Jesus Christ. That's a literal context, but it's also spiritual. Here's why. Because the day I made my decision to follow Jesus, he brought new life. He transformed me from the old and made me new. If you are in Christ, you can't remain in the same seat looking with the same view. At some point, you got to get up and move behind the house or from behind the house and start seeing the greater things that God has for you. There is not power in resurrection without transformation. That's why we are raised to new life and seated with Him. Why seated with Him? Because we're no longer on our own throne of our lives with our own assumptions. We've now been seated in a place of understanding, in a place with Him. 
You catch that this morning? That this is, here's what resurrection does. This is when we come to Christ. Got a problem, got a problem. I need resurrection. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Resurrect, resurrect, resurrect. But we don't come to the understanding of his greatness and his power. So we just remain resurrected in the same place we've always been. And you can come to church all you want. But until the power of God transforms you, you'll just be in the same place close to but not experiencing. In the vicinity but not the intimacy. In a nearness but not at the table. Having at a distance, but not sitting in the place that he has for you. Because there's this transformation that God wants to bring in your life. Can I tell you this? Jesus has changed the way I think. My wife and I have been married for 21 years, going on 22 years. She has probably lived with about three or four different men, but it's all been me at the same time. She's been married to like three or four different men. You know why? because I've had to change and if I haven't then I haven't been growing in Christ if she married the same man that I was the day I met her we got a problem because right off the bat things aren't as good as you assume hey every beginning your marriage they call it the honeymoon season for a reason why because that's the season of your assumptions your assumption well my assumption is well it'll change later little relationship tip right here hey if you're in a in a dating relationship or in a uh, engagement relationship and you're staying in the relationship with the expectation that there's something you don't like but that person will just change eventually and you've never addressed it quit fooling yourself that's called an assumption I don't know how many couples I've sat with and been like and then he does this and I don't like that and I'll say well did he do that when you're dating yeah Lord, would you move the house in Jesus' name? God, would you just lift up the house and just cause us to move right now? And no, you're setting yourself up. I don't know how many, how many times I've talked to couples and said, hey, how long has this been going on? A long time. You got to address it. Here's my point. At some moment, you got to get up out of the seat and you got to move. Because if you just assume it's just going to change, it's just going to get better. No, God wants that transformation. Do you know how the transformation starts? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. This is not mind over matter. Uh, I'm going to think better. I'm going to think better. No, this is, oh God, I need your wisdom. Let me see your majesty. Do you know what? When I'm walking through life's troubles, Oh God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how, but I know you're still God. And in the midst of my pain, let me see your glory. In the midst of my hurt, let me see your provision. In the midst of where I, let me see you. Because when I see you, I find all that I need. I find grace and strength for the moment that we would be transformed in Jesus. Amen? You follow me this morning? Let me close with this. Tell your neighbor today, so be transformed. Be transformed. Because he has given us victory. He's given us resurrection and transformation. It will come in the day when we die and we're raised to life. But I want you to know it's happening even now. 
I'm looking across this room right now and there's some people sitting in this church that you weren't the same person when you came here a couple years ago. God's transformed you. Some of you sitting on the front row here, God's transformed you. God, hopefully all of us, that God's transformed you. You're not the same person you were. Why? Because the Spirit of God is trans. He has raised us to life and seated us with Christ. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I am seated with Him. I'm seated with Him. I'm seated with Him. I've been transformed. I'm resurrected and I'm made new. Jesus didn't die to give you life. He died to give you new life. New life. New life. New life. Completely made new. If you're here today, maybe today you need to get from out of the seat and move behind the house because you're saying, God, I know there's a sunset of beauty and something of promise that you have for me, but I can't see it right now. And instead of saying, God, move the house, move the house, move the house, God said, no, move your butt, move your butt, move your butt. If that, I hope that didn't offend you. Read the Bible. It says worse things than that. Move. Get it better. Some of us, some of us been sitting and we've got this block and we're like, well, I know what happens. It's this just. No, don't lose the desire and the want to. I got to see. I want, God, I don't want to miss. I don't understand. I see these obstructions. I see these things in the way. But, oh, God, my faith is that you're going to produce something. Give me understanding. Give me the ability to see beyond the obstacles, the obstructions, the things that are in my way. God, I want to see you in your glory. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't let this be. God, I just need you to fix it, fix it, fix it. Give me wisdom. Say, no, God, I want to know you like I've never known you before. How many agree with that? The Lord's reminded me of something I said a couple years ago. God, I want to see you like I've never seen you before. And he says, then get ready to need me like you've never needed me before. I don't like that, God. I don't like that. But if you want to see me like you've never seen me before, then get ready to need me like you've never needed me before. Why? Because that's where he produces understanding, that we see him more. If your view is obstructed by something, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because we live in a broken world and God wants you to know that he's the healer of the brokenness, that he's the deliverer of the setback, that he's the God who overcomes what the enemy comes to bring against us. This is a momentary issue. Just get up, walk around the house,
and let him show you his splendor, his majesty. How many of you say today, God, I'm moving. God, I'm, I'm stepping. I'm moving from this place. If that's you today, just stand to your feet right where you are. You say, God, I want to move behind, beyond the obstructions. Come on, let's acknowledge our need for him and the work that he's done in our lives. Let's take this moment.